Amen. Good morning, everyone. It is good to see you and worship with you this morning at WPC. As uh, today we begin a new church year uh, with the season of Advent, which begins today. Uh, what's neat is uh, this year, this doesn't usually happen, but uh, the, the first Sunday of Advent in the Christian year is also the first day of Hanukkah for our Jewish brothers and sisters. Uh, so that's a neat connection uh, I was reminded of before service. I just wanted to make sure you all realize that, that connection. Uh, so our church calendar begins uh, in, in the Christian church with Advent with the season of holy waiting. And this waiting is always twofold. We wait for our Lord's arrival as a helpless baby in Bethlehem, but we also await. We await our Lord's return when God's kingdom will culminate on earth. To observe this holy Advent waiting this year, uh, I thought I would change things up a little bit and do a sermon series I've entitled Gospel Lights Tour. When Maria and I lived in Richmond uh, in graduate school, we experienced one of the city's Christmas traditions known as the Tacky Lights Tour. When homes all around the city, including some of the really uh, nicest homes around, would try to outdo one another in tacky Christmas decor. Think crazy lawn inflatables and so many multicolor lights that it would make Clark Griswold jealous. Uh, It was fun. And each home, what was neat was seeing how each home personalized this, this task in preparing for Christmas. And they did so in their own unique way. It kind of reminded me of when someone invites you into their home for the first time. You get to know them simply, uh, you get to know them better simply by stepping through their front door. You learn about their interests, their style, their habits. But overall, you gain a better understanding of who they are, what their story is, and what matters to them. For this series, I'd like for us to tour and step into the metaphorical homes of the four gospel writers. This series is adapted from an idea from a pastor at First Church in New York City who was inspired by a talk by renowned preaching scholar Tom Long who spoke about the four gospel writers as if they lived in four homes, uh, different homes on the same intersection, which On another note, could you imagine what the HOA meetings would look like? (laughs) Each week, we're going to meet a different gospel writer, and we're going to invite ourselves into their home, and we'll do so to gain a better understanding of them, who they are, uh, when and why they wrote their respective gospel, who they were writing to, and most importantly, what does Christmas, what does the incarnation of God uh, coming near and dwelling with us, what does that mean? to them, and how can we prepare for this big moment? Today we'll begin with Mark. Now when you go through our New Testament, uh, Matthew's gospel appears first, but most scholars today agree that Mark's gospel was probably the earliest written gospel, so we're going to start there. Mark actually coins the term gospel in his very first verse, which in Greek is euangelion, from which we get the word evangelism, or in other words, good news. Because of this, the gospel writers are also referred to as evangelists. So you may hear me refer to them as evangelists from time to time. I invite you to listen now, friends, with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the very beginning of Mark's gospel. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, 
See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, wearing a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Skipping ahead to verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So imagine we're driving down Gospel Lane together, and we pull into Mark's driveway. Upon doing so, we had noticed that there are absolutely no Christmas decorations to be seen. Mark has an austere home with no frills, no fluff. If it doesn't serve a purpose, Mark's house doesn't have it. As we enter into his home, into his Gospel, we notice that there's no Christmas story at all. There's no manger or wise men or even a baby Jesus. Instead, what we get as Mark begins his gospel is an encounter with John the Baptist. If Mark were to have a nativity scene decorating his front lawn, I imagine it would just be John the Baptist standing there with the word box that says, Hey, what's a nativity? So instead of a birth story of the Messiah, Mark felt it was necessary to begin his gospel by talking about Jesus' forebearer. John the Baptist. Then, only after this introduction, we meet the grown man Jesus coming to John to be baptized. John is described uh, to look like and be like the Old Testament prophet Elijah, wearing camel's hair, eating locusts and wild honey, preaching out in the wilderness to repent and prepare the way of the Lord. Let's be clear, though. Mark may not have a birth story of Jesus, but he does have something to say about the importance of the incarnation, of God coming near and dwelling with us. That's what we'll explore today. Over the years, I've spoken with many veterans about their time in the service, uh, and in doing so, they often talk about a concept that has become synonymous with military life. The idea is this, hurry up and... Wait. Hurry up and wait. The phrase is believed to have originated in the military back around World War II, and it describes the reality that service members often feel, that they have to rush to a new post or assignment, rush, 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 and then when they get there, wait for an indeterminate amount of time. To me, this idea, hurry up and wait, is all over Mark's gospel. In fact, one of Mark's favorite words in his gospel is the word immediately. It appears almost 50 times, usually describing something Jesus does. So immediately Jesus went here. Then immediately Jesus went there to heal this person. Then immediately he goes over here to feed this multitude. Then immediately he goes and teaches. Mark's Jesus is in a hurry. 
And it shows that his gospel is significantly shorter than the other three. So why is Jesus in a rush? We see why in Jesus' very first words in the gospel, what we ended our reading with today. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is essentially Mark's Christmas message. And it's one of urgency. And it's one that beckons our response. But it's also a message of fulfillment. See, Mark was writing at a time when people were panicked. They were in crisis. As he writes around the year 70 AD, Rome has just been destroyed, uh, or sorry, Rome just destroyed Jerusalem and the very temple, which was the spiritual center of Mark's world, and it just collapsed. And this crisis beckons him to take all of these oral stories of Jesus passed down over the years and put them down finally in writing. Mark, like his image of Jesus, felt that it was time. That time was of the essence. It was urgent to go out and spread the good news of God's kingdom. His people, like that of Jesus' time, needed hope. And the gospel was just the device to embody the hope of Christ's coming into the world. See, urgency and hope are just intertwined here. And it's a message that's expressed in our own denomination's Confession of 1967. It says this, With an urgency born of this hope, the church applies itself to present tasks and strives for a better world. Mark wanted his community, and his community consisted of new Jewish Christians. And these folks were struggling to find their identity in light of the temple's destruction. Mark wanted this community to live into urgency with hope. Hope for redemption of our broken and divided and hurting world. So that basically covers the hurry up side of the statement, but now we get to the waiting part. Mark was writing a good three generations after Jesus, so think about trying to write down all the stories you heard from your grandparents and great-grandparents, getting all the details just right, putting them in just the right chronological order. The very first Christians, think back to like letters of Paul, believed that Christ would return soon. And when Christ returned, all the bad stuff of this world would be redeemed. But now, Mark is writing decades and decades later, and the bad stuff has only become worse. Not only is Rome still in charge, but now they destroyed the holy city and the temple, which was the center of our faith. The hope was in Christ's return and the culmination, the fulfillment of God's kingdom, But just when will that be? In his gospel, Mark reframes the idea of waiting. And he reframes it with hope and preparing. This is the message of John, of John's preaching in Mark. Prepare the way, make the path straight, and repent. That's simple. Jesus will hone in on this uh, later in the gospel, which we, we read in our first reading today. He uses some vivid and even scary images from Old Testament prophets. But Jesus' message, too, is to wait, prepare, keep awake for the dawning of God's redemption on earth. He gives a warning to people who are too busy or preoccupied to see the arrival of God's coming into our world. What Mark does here is he reframes the feelings and anxiety of his community. 
In a turbulent time that demanded urgency, Mark creates a whole new genre of literature, gospel, good news, and he does this to instill hope. As his community waited on end for something to happen, Mark reminds them of their job to be prepared. His gospel transforms their mindset. Instead of hurry up and wait, now it's prepare and hope. Hope for God's kingdom, but prepare for this kingdom. Work with diligence to live into God's kingdom of peace and love here and now, as if it were already among us. Friends, today we too live in a time of hurry up and wait. In this busiest season of the year with endless shopping lists, errands, and a calendar filled with events and obligations, we're constantly hurrying from one thing to the next. We're so distracted from our busy lives that we can be oblivious to moments of grace that we see in our everyday encounters. From our schedules to our smartphones, we are often so rushed that we are unable to appreciate all the holy moments around us. The moments when God breaks through to give us just a glimpse of his kingdom. Mark reminds us that this is a time to take a deep breath, to pause, but to pay attention. Pay attention to what God is up to here and now in our world. To find joy in the simplicity of things, whether it's time with our family and friends or uh, just an encounter with a stranger. Because it's only when we pause, it's only when we take a breath, that we can find hope. On the other hand, we're also waiting. We're hurrying, but we're also waiting. We know there are problems in our world. We know there are problems in our own lives. We're waiting for a diagnosis. Perhaps we're waiting for reconciliation with an estranged friend or family member. We wait for a world where there isn't violence and hatred, where people are welcomed and cherished just as they are. We wait, but we wait knowing the world is far from the creation God made and called good. Like Mark's first century community, we need John and Jesus preaching, calling us to pause, rest, and keep watch. But most importantly, to transform. From hurry up and wait to hope and prepare. Hope and prepare for the kingdom, for the redeemed world that Christ will bring, where there will be no violence or hatred or discrimination. All will be one in Christ. You know, it's not often in Advent that I praise a secular Christmas song, but I heard one on Pandora this week that, to me, just screamed the gospel of Mark and Mark's Advent message to keep awake, hope, and prepare. The song was originally uh, performed by Stevie Wonder, and it's entitled Someday at Christmas. It was written in 1967 during the height of the Civil Rights Movement, as well as the Vietnam War. And it expresses this anticipation and hopefulness for a better world as Christmas draws near. In the song, he hopes for peace and love and equality in a world that at times seemed to be struggling to find all three. My favorite stanza in the song reads like this. Someday at Christmas, man will not fail. Hate will be gone and love will prevail. Someday a new world that we can start with hope in every heart. Do you hear Mark in that? I hope so. I know I sure do. 
Friends, Mark may not have a manger scene in his front yard or Christmas lights up or even cookies and cocoa waiting for us inside, but he does have an Advent and Christmas message that we need to hear. In this busy season, Mark invites us to transform our world of hurry up and wait to hope and prepare. Hope for Christ's once and future coming. Hope for God's redemption of the brokenness and pain of this world. May we live into this hope by preparing the way, living into this kingdom as if it were already here, working to fix the wrongs in our community and world, that all may know the hope that only Christ can bring. Friends, as Jesus says in the gospel, the time has come and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news, the gospel. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.